Have you ever had one of those dreams that just like wakes you up right in the moment? It happened to me this morning as in my dream, everything went wrong with this service. I mean, you name it. Like I came up here, I didn't even have my microphone on. And then I looked for it and I realized that it was like tied in multiple knots around this. And so like we spent five minutes just untying my microphone. It was terrible. And I can tell you, thank goodness, it is not prophetic. Uh, I just want you to know that it is so good to be here with you this morning. Um, just standing up here closer to the front and hearing you all sing that who you say I am. Uh, I mean, it was so amazing. It has just been such a good morning so far. I want to keep the momentum going. So if you'll just turn to the person next to you and just say, it is so good to see you this morning. Welcome them. We're not going to get up and like walk around or anything, but just, yeah. I mean, this is such a good place to be with everybody this morning. So if you'll uh, join me, we're just going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we will be in Ephesians chapter 1 again this morning, if you want to turn there, um, and we'll read that later on down the road. So Father God, we just come before you, and God, I'm, I'm ready to hear what you have to say, God. I'm excited about what your truth and your word has to tell us today. And God, I pray that whatever this world is trying to throw at us to try and uh, lure us away from hearing your word, uh, try and tell us that, you know, God is maybe for somebody else, not for us, or whatever tactic the enemy is doing, God, just place your hedge of protection around us. Let your Holy Spirit just enter into our hearts. May we open ourselves up to receiving your word. And God, may it be your word that is spoken. We need you this morning, God. Just be here in this time. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So there's an old insult on the playground growing up. Maybe you remember it. Somebody throws some kind of, uh, for you millennials, they throw shade. If you were in Sunday evening as well, you now know what that term means. But if somebody says an insult to you, the common response is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And it's a really cool thing to say, really tough mentality that, yeah, go ahead, keep saying what you want. Your words can never hurt me. But the reality of it is that words actually penetrate really deep. And whereas, you know, somebody might slug you, give you a black eye, and that's going to heal, what we actually do is we carry the wounds of insults We carry the wounds of lies that maybe family or dear friends or even enemies have said to us. And we allow those things to penetrate into us. And the sad thing is, is that we start to define our life on that for a lot of people. Lies that we believe that we've been told in our life at some point. Um, Maybe some common ones that we've heard are, you will never amount to anything. Why try? Because you're never going to succeed. You should just give up now. You're never going to amount to anything. Maybe another one is if you are so scared of failing, you believe the lie that if you fail at anything, that makes you a failure. And you will forever be defined as a failure. And so therefore you believe that lie so you're never going to step out of your comfort zone. 
You're never going to push your limit. You're never going to, as Abby said, even in the spiritual realm, you're never going to take that step of faith on the water and follow where God is calling you because you're too scared of failing. If you fail, that makes you a failure. Another one is if you ever offend somebody, man, the whole world's going to bail on you. Like you're, you're a uh, pacifist, you're a non-confrontationalist, and so therefore if you ever have to call somebody on something and they disagree with it, not only are they going to leave, but they're also going to recruit all your best friends, and so everybody's going to leave you together. Or maybe you feel like you are just defined by that one thing, that shadow in your closet that, that one instance in life where you made that decision that, man, you wish you could take back, but you can't. And so therefore, you are always carrying that with you because you define and identify yourself based on those. Or maybe it's a totally different lie that you're believing. And that's, that's the tactic of Satan. Satan wants to come at you, and he wants to, the, to cause you to doubt. If, if you are a, a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life over to him, then what Satan's going to do is he's going to try and cast doubt, cast questions in your mind. He did it very first time in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, able to walk with God, able to have free reign and free relationship with God, and then Satan comes in and he tries casting a little doubt in their mind. And it's the same thing he's doing 6,000 plus years later, where he is still trying to have us wonder, did God mean that? Is God really who he says he is? And if God's not who he says he is, then are you really who he says you are? Can you truly believe these things? And so we're called not to believe the lies that Satan or even this world tells us, but instead we're called to believe the truth that God says about us. And that's the whole basis of this series in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 that we're looking at, where we are finding our identity, who we are, based on God's Word. And it's not because of anything we've done, but it's because of who God is. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read three short verses, starting in verse 3 and going through verse 6. So if you'll stand as we read our passage this morning. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Thank you. You may be seated. And so Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesian church. They're not Jewish. They're Gentiles, which is what we would all be identified as. If you were not a Jew, if you were not an Israelite by birth, then you were what is considered a Gentile. And the thing is about Gentiles is we are not children of God. Like God—I'll clarify that later on—but God chose the Israelites. 
God chose Abraham, and God told Abraham, from you is going to come a seed, and from you is going to come a, a nation, and that nation became Israel. They are God's chosen people. But then, through Jesus and through the rejection of the Jews, Romans chapter 9 talks about this, God engrafted Gentiles. He brought in non-Jews to be a part of his family through adoption. And so what Paul tells us there in verse 5 is in love, he predestined us Gentiles for adoption to himself as sons. And so the truth, the identity that we get to walk in now is that we are children of God through adoption. And we're going to look at three things as to what this means now that we are children of God. Whenever we get adopted in, which comes in through faith in Christ, through the sacrifice of his blood, that's how we are adopted in, it changes our relationship with God. It changes our status with God, and then lastly, it changes our inheritance. And so, first off, our relationship has changed with God. So whenever we're adopted in, we see God no longer as a judge, but as a father, because we're now children of God. And the basis on that is, imagine how you relate to a judge. Say you get a speeding ticket. I hear they happen. Say you get a speeding ticket, and you have to appear before a judge. How are you going to be acting? Kind of like you're worried. Because it's like, man, I don't know how this judge is going to respond to this. I don't know the penalty that the judge is going to give me. I don't know what's going to happen to me. If you're a, a, a pessimist like me, where it's like, he might throw me in jail. I only broke the law a little bit, but I might still go to jail for this. Like, worst case scenario. And that's how you, you see judges. It's like, man, I don't know what happened, but I don't know what's going to be the result of this. I broke the law. What's going to happen? But how do you get to approach a loving father? When you have faith and you have confidence in who your father is, that they're not going to respond with hatred, but they're going to respond with love. There's going to be consequences. You're going to have to pay the ticket, but you still don't have fear of being cast out. You don't have fear of being kicked out of the family, but instead you are welcome with love. I mean, I remember the first time that I ever got to drive a car by myself, day after my 16th birthday, uh, picked up two buddies. We were driving down a dirt road, thought it would be really cool to pull the e-brake and turn the wheel at the same time. Next thing I know, we are in the ditch with the tire popped off the wheel. The first thing I thought is, I got to call my dad. It was because I knew, yeah, man, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to have to confess this. But I also knew how I was going to be received. There wasn't fear of, man, dad's going to kill me now. But there was, man, dad's going to help make this right because dad loves me. And that's only a glimpse of the love that God has for us. I've heard this quote said, and I love it. Religion says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. But relationship says, I messed up. I need to call dad. 
I need to go to my heavenly father because he is the only one that can truly fix this. He's not going to cast me out with hatred, but he's going to welcome me with love. And that's how God welcomes us. You see, Paul tells us in Galatians, he says, through the work of the cross, you are sons and daughters of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Therefore, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So if we are no longer slaves, but we are now sons, Paul tells us in Romans, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear of what is going to be the penalty for this. Is God going to cast me out? Is this the one thing that says God no longer loves me? You no longer receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we get to cry the most intimate cry, Abba, Father, I need you. Help me through this. Paul tells Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That we are children of God. And so therefore our relationship with God has changed from God being a judge ready to just dish out the penalty to a father ready to help us. Because think of the differences between those two. Even if there's the same, you know, possible penalty, a judge is going to make you pay and your father's like, hey, you're going to have to pay this. The motives are different. Whenever a judge dishes out a penalty, it is to punish you. They're making you pay that just as a penalty. When a father takes you aside and says, okay, this is the wrong that was done, and this is how you make it right, there's a penalty, but it's for your own good. It's to improve you. It's to make you a better person. And that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, not as a punishment cast down in hatred, but he disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our own good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peace, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A judge is going to cast out a penalty. A father is going to discipline because discipline builds and brings you into a better relationship with God. You see, that's the thing. I heard this other quote. I couldn't find who said it, but it says, the cross changes heaven's courtroom from a criminal trial to an adoption party. 
to where you go there without the cross and it's, all right, what's the penalty? But when you enter through the blood of Jesus, you go there and it's like, welcome into my family. The relationship is changed. But also the status has changed to where we are no longer enemies of God, but instead we are now children of God. We have a new status with God. Galatians 3, 26 tells us this. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You see, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and James, they all tell us, hey, you are an enemy of God. Before the cross, Gentiles, non-believers, you were actually hostile. You were going against God. You were an enemy completely opposed to who God is. But now through the cross, you're not an enemy, but you're a child. Colossians or Romans chapter 5 tells us this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we are his children Shall we be saved by his life? Ephesians chapter 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, every single one of us, once walked, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Colossians 1, 21 says, You, you were alienated. You were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Before the cross, we were hostile enemies opposing God. We were completely against him. James 4 tells us, you adulterous people, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, if you wish to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's our status before placing faith in Jesus. We were enemies. Not only were we enemies, we were slaves as well. And to be a slave just means it looks good, I'm doing it. I'm going after it. It feels good. I'm going to fulfill that desire. Whatever the body wants, whatever the mind wants, whatever the stomach wants, whatever the eyes want, whatever, whatever feels right, I'm going to follow through with that. That's what it means to be a slave. To blindly follow and just, you're giving in to all these desires that lead to death. Romans 6 But thanks be to God, you who once were slaves of sin, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You've been set free from sin, and instead you've become slaves of righteousness. And then he says in verse 19, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, 
leading to sanctification. 1 Corinthians tells us, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such was I before Jesus entered into my life. Galatians 4, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Ephesians already told us you were alienated. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were carrying out the desires of this world. You were following the passions of your flesh and of your body. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Titus chapter 3. We ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And the thing is, the world wants to throw that at you. Yeah, you're, you're your biggest regret. You're that sin that you wish you never committed. You're that one thing that, man, you wish you could forget, but you can't. And that's what's going to define you for the rest of your life. The world wants to throw that at you. But Jesus, when you place your faith in him, changes your status. In first, or not first Corinthians, second Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So you're no longer what your past says you are. You are a new creation. And as God tells us, you are his child. You have been adopted it is a status that we have received to be children of God. But with that status comes a relationship. We have direct access to God now. I mean, think about it. Say I wanted to get a hold of the president right now. And so I call a number. I'm going to get a receptionist who is then going to maybe transfer me to somebody else who's not even like they're specialized in my problem or whatever it is. I'm not getting access to the president ever, probably. And that's how it used to be with God. You had to go through a priest. You had to go through somebody else. But when you become a child of God, Hebrews tells us we have boldness and confidence to go directly to the throne of grace. Ephesians tells us that through the Spirit of God, we have boldness and access and confidence that we can go to God. Ephesians, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's 2.18. Then chapter 3, it says, This was according to his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. To where we get direct access to God. There's not some hotline. There's not some call waiting. There is God I need you in this moment. And he hears you and he responds to you. And he helps you. 
Even when you're coming with God, I can't believe I did that again. I promised you I would never do that again. I'm sorry I did it again. He hears you. And he doesn't kick you out and saying, yeah, you said you'd never do it again, but you did. There's the door. But instead, he lovingly embraces you. He hears you, and he holds you, and he walks with you through it. He might discipline for your good to help you. So we have a new relationship. And through that new relationship, we have a new status. But also, we get a new inheritance. Because before, when we're enemies of God, when we are going to a judge who is going to condemn us, we receive death. And not even death, because death makes it seem like it's a one-and-done thing. We receive dying for eternity. An eternal dying. An eternal damnation. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Then verse 27, he said, Men likewise, they gave up natural relations with women, and they were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their, for their error. You see, there is a penalty for sin. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. And that's gonna be paid. That is already paid so that we don't have to. But if you are not in Christ, you are not a child of God, and therefore you receive death, an eternal dying. But God gave Jesus so that we don't have to. I mean, think of it this way. We read a book recently in which it talked about this, and I thought it was really insightful. Imagine that to make it to heaven, you had to jump to the moon. Like literally, physically, like woohoo, jump and get to the moon. Now I can look around at everybody else and say, I can jump twice as high as you. Therefore, I should make it to heaven. If I could jump twice as high as everybody else, I am still thousands of miles from reaching my goal. So many people think that with Christ. Oh, well, because I can do better than them, I can make it to heaven on my own merit. But what we don't realize is the standard is the moon. The moon is perfection, and we fall short. But God, through Jesus, gave us a rocket ship that shoots us to the moon without us doing a single thing. Terrible metaphor, but go with it. God has done what we could never do. The blood of Jesus is what changes, hev or changes heaven's courtroom from a criminal trial to an adoption party. And when we are adopted in, we receive an eternal inheritance. Total separation from sin with eternal connection to God. Ephesians 1.14 Verse 13, it starts, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you placed your faith in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, right now we have part of that inheritance. 
We get relationship with God. We can go directly to him. He sent his spirit to dwell inside of us. But at some point, we get to receive it permanently and fully. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians sorry, 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but eventually face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You see, God has adopted us in through Jesus so that we can have a new relationship with him. We can have a new status with him and we can have a new inheritance. We are now children of God because of what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 1.5 tells us that. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Through Jesus Christ. When you heard the gospel of truth and believed in him, that's when you received your inheritance. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says it himself, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So I want to leave you with this quote that's kind of been bouncing around in my mind or this, this thought that I had because I, I feel like it, to me, really resonated on what it means for me to be adopted in. What father would say to their son, hey, I'm going to adopt these people, but I have to kill you. You have to die for that to happen. I love them so much that you're going to die for them. What father does that? But also what son says, I will give my life for them so that they can come and be a part of our family. You're all loving God is that kind of father. Because he also knew that death was not the end for Jesus. It was only the beginning. It was the beginning of victory over hell, victory over sin, and victory over death itself. And it was also the beginning of a new relationship that we get with him. God loves you so much that he said, I want to bring you into my family, but I'm going to kill my son for you. And Jesus said, I want you to be in relationship with my father so much that I'm going to give my life for you. That's how much God loves you. That and through that only are you able to say you are a child of God only through the blood of Jesus. And so we're calling an audible here. We're singing a different song to close this service out. It's a one that we already sang today. It is who you say I am. Because I want us to leave here with that promise because the world is going to try and tell you, no, you're not a child of God. You're an adulterer. You're a fornicator. You're an addict. You're a liar, you're a gossip, you're a cheat, you're a steal, you're a failure, you're whatever lie is bouncing around in your head. And this song speaks truth to that. It's who Jesus says you are. It's who God has claimed you are. You are his child. He loves you that much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. You will be a child of God. If you'll stand as we sing.